0: Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. Uh, this morning we have the distinct pleasure of having Miss Anita Bond. She's Council Member at Large for the Council of the District of Columbia, and she's the Chairwoman of the Committee on Housing and Neighborhood Revitalization. Good morning.
1: Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: It's a pleasure, absolute pleasure, to be here. Uh, we're downtown in their office, and we have a chance. to to see you, and I'm so glad that you took out of your busy schedule to be on the show. Thank you. You are welcome. And I'm also really pleased that you started the Limited Equity Co-op Housing Task Force. How did you learn about co-ops or get involved in (laughs) co-ops?
1: Well, you know, co-ops have been around since the what, 1950s with the National Housing Bill that was passed by Congress in those days? The whole idea was to help people of li- very limited income have an opportunity for ownership. Since I've been on the council over the past six years, I've had an opportunity to talk with members of Cooperative Living, particularly the Limited Equity Co-op. Um, members and they've had a multitude of issues yes because they're independent and they sort of govern themselves it depends on who is the governing body uh, as to whether or not all members of a co-op feel that they have equity in the product so to speak and I run across a couple of um, problem areas and so I said This is an ownership model. My goodness, we should ask that more of these types of uh, structures and living conditions be a part of the District of Columbia. As you know, we currently are not just in a housing crisis. I mean, we're, we're we're sinking under the high cost of housing in the District of Columbia. And if you look at even those persons who are at the high end, uh, 150000 or more income, they too are suffering. It's very hard to afford a two-bedroom, two-bath, and have to pay as a renter $7,200 dollars which is the case in um, one of the Shaw. Communities, okay. $7,200 $7, a month. 7200 yes, yes. Oh, um, I didn't at, know at the old Heinz wow. School location, it's $8,300 a month. And we won't talk about the wharf. Um And I mention these locations because these are very desirable housing. You know, everyone wants to be in what's new the glass and the chrome. You know, everyone, even the senior citizens that. <laughs> (laughs) I meet with they say well we want one of those units too and you know cost is prohibited in most cases because you know seniors they're on a very fixed income so it was through all of that that really piqued my interest and I thought if we could do anything since we know that ownership is the way your, your city survives that the uh, limited equity co-op model we needed to look closer at. So that's really what got
0: me involved. Fantastic. I mean co-ops are formed when there's a community problem. I had one gentleman from synagogue that first month that we were on the show say that Co ops are formed to solve community problems. If there's no community problems, there's no need for a co op. And the community problem that you just outlined is the cost of housing has just gone crazy. And I didn't know it was that high. I mean, you just told me something. I didn't know. Yes, it is. It is. I can't imagine $7,200 a month to pay. You've got to be making. I don't know 20,000 a month to be able yeah, to do that at 30% yeah. of your homeowner.
1: Now we do have a few um, millionaires in the district <laughs> but not anywhere near what our population um is, you know, our population is more than 700,000. I I gather we may have uh 200 millionaires, but uh, millionaires tend to be already there they own there. Mm -hmm. And so it is the rest of us that we're most concerned with. You know, how can we create ownership opportunities for? particularly those that have lived in the city for many years and and love the city newcomers who say oh my god I love this place you know and they want to be here and they want to raise their families here and so my goal as chair of the council's housing and neighborhood revitalization committee is to focus on how do we uh, maintain the affordable housing we have and how do we actually create more and so that's what I've been working on night and day 24
0: 7 24 7 365 it's
1: such a big (laughs) issue and that's why we do it that way
0: it is a huge issue but you talked about ownership so I want to go back and just tell everybody out there listening to four types of co-ops we're talking about housing but there are four types and it depends on who owns and controls that business Uh, so if it's owned and controlled by the people that work in the business uh, if the employees own it, it's called a worker co-op. So they can have any kind of business owned by the by the employees. If it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the services. Uh, it's called a consumer co-op. Housing is one of those. It's a All consumer right. co-op. Excellent. Okay, credit unions are examples of consumer co- uh, Correct, co-ops. Correct. Yes. REI, which has a new new uh, recreation equipment, they have a new office, new store here. So when they're superstores yes, in DC, yes. they it's a consumer co-op. So there are different types of consumer co-ops. The other two, m- normally farmers have been using, but artists are beginning to use them on one side of farming is purchasing what they need the seed the fertilizers the gas equipment even so farmers pool to come together and they form a purchasing co-op to buy things so they get a Buy in volume and get a lower price and normally a better quality of stuff. Well,
1: let me share with you. Let me give um, you
0: the fourth one first. (laughs) Okay. The fourth one is. I relate to these. (laughs) Okay. The fourth one is on the other end of the farmers, you have the marketing co-ops. And that's when the farmers come together and they send them their milk or their different things that they produce. And then they sell them to markets that the farmer could not get to. And you have Cabot Creamery. Ocean Spray, Sunkiss, those are all different types of um, uh, marketing co-ops. Some call them producer co-ops because they add value to those products. So these are all of the types. And in the district, I had a group of artists come to me, and they wanted to buy a house together. Okay. So that's why the art is in, in terms of a purchase. They wanted to buy a house and have a studio in there so that they could live because of the cost of housing is so high. All right. So that's that would be just another example of it. Yes. Go ahead and tell me yeah, what you're going
1: no, I was just going to mention in the 80s, um, neighbors and I got together and we created a co-op. But it was for the purchasing of vegetables, fruits, and meats. And we literally went to the what was the old farmer's market off of florida avenue and we bought like a half of a a cow a fourth Mm -hmm. of a cow and then we had our little scale at the house and we we checked on how much everyone was to get and um and we we did that for about a year and a half yeah and we saved so much money
0: oh my goodness
1: it was amazing
0: we did it at at Shallow Baptist Church, we pulled everything and bought fruits and stuff, and so you buy a box of oranges. So, yeah, they are purchasing co op. All right. That is a way of saving money, working together, creating community, and all of that. So, that's the yes. ownership and stuff that's going on. So, let's go back to housing. It's a form of a consumer cooperative. And you saw these limited equity co-ops and you saw them working. What did you like about them? There was ownership, but what were some of the things that you liked about them?
1: I particularly liked the fact that there was a sharing, a sharing of concern and It seemed to me that all of the members had voice and input, and I think that is tantamount to an effective living environment. One of the things I'd like to uh, focus on in the housing committee is to make sure that the dwelling units that we have the buildings that they are treated as a neighborhood because I think when you look at housing from that perspective you get a better product and more stability I think that maintenance is a little easier you know everyone shows that they care and therefore the upkeep is better
0: yeah there was a study done that the national co-op bank sponsored but it looked at hud supported co-ops versus hud supported apartment buildings and in every variable that you can think of the the uh, co-ops outperformed the apartment buildings yeah. and that's because of what you just talked about people cared they had ownership they cared they participate so you had community but there was also a financial side. They'd be able to create financial wealth that they could not in an apartment building. They had social wealth in community. They had lower crime because people would growing up in Bluefield, West Virginia, small and probably in southeast, when you grew up, people in the community looked out for their children. oh yes that's what happens in (laughs) co-ops you you got a big smile on that one (laughs) okay
1: definitely definitely um that was um there was a time when we were extremely neighborly here in the district of columbia i think it still can exist and probably does in some communities particularly those where you do not have extreme turnover or the gentrification where people do not initially know each other and some Sometimes don't really reach out to each other. But once communities reach out across the street, you know, and start talking, then we begin to develop a a strong sense of community. Yes. And that's what, in my opinion, helps neighborhoods survive.
0: And when you talked about people making decisions to pick up paper when they go down in the street, if they're in that neighborhood, they know uh, who is stealing cars or who's bringing stolen cars and they can tell the police and they work with the police they get very social they also make better decisions i have found in terms that the um, buildings after 30 40 years are better than the apartment buildings because they have made these long-term investments of keeping the roof done and all of it so all the way around co-ops outperform and that's what, very good to know. <laughs> what you have experienced, though, is that you get a lot of complaints. When one works, that oh, the other thing is that you didn't have as many foreclosures in in co-ops as you did in apartment buildings. Rents were lower over time, but when they do go bad, okay, for whatever reason, normally it's around governance or or management. Then it's hard to to get a handle on them because they haven't learned how to how to have a um, their political animal at that point. And that's why I like the task force. Okay. All right. Well, this task force is very important to us and
1: I think it's done extremely great work. You're not finished yet. It has um, probably in December we'll receive a final report, but I can give you some of the preliminary information. Uh, one, the organization i think what 13 members nine members
0: on the task force yes nine, nine
1: members yeah. on the task force that have fully participated one uh, there some of the their recommendations include minimizing funding as um, they want really want to establish like a, a minimum annual funding amount um, bucket of money, mm-hmm. or an an amount that they can depend on, and you know currently we have when we talk about housing in the District of Columbia, it's primarily through the Housing Production Trust Fund.
0: We okay, I need you to stop because we're going to go on our first break. We okay, will come back and look at the other recommendations. All right. Recommendations. Okay. All we'll right. Be right back. Thank you. Back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is everything cooperative. Uh, we have Anita Bonds, council member at large for the District of Columbia. She's also the chairwoman of the committee on housing and neighborhood revitalization. So she created a task force. Matter of fact, she created a bill that created the task force on limited equity cooperatives. And we were talking before we took break about some of the recommendations of this task force and i want to get to that council member bonds but i just got a burning question is how did you end up going from southeast to berkeley to go to college
1: <laughs> well in those days i um... let's see how do i put this I always had an interest in the sciences. I also had a tremendous interest in the arts. And so during summer break from school, when I was in, from junior high on, instead of being out and jumping up and down, I was somewhere painting. Okay. Wow. Yes. Yes. I I was doing that that was my enjoyment. And, and and I also made a different different cookie every day, you know, a stuff different like cookie. yeah, different. Okay. <laughs> my my boyfriend had to eat um cookies with uh pieces of fruit in it and all kinds of st- <laughs> test test kitchen. Yes, test test kitchen. So I did that kind of thing and um Chemistry was always my love. In fact, in, in high school, in my junior year, uh, senior year, I walked around with my lab coat almost all day because. All, all day? Yeah, because, yeah, I had finished most of my curriculum, so I only had like two classes. So, But I was there and I was in the lab. I absolutely adored it. Organic chemistry, I loved. So. The situation is with family where my my auntie, she had a relative in every every state where I was thinking of going to school except California. And, oh. you know, you're going to stay with Cousin Mary Ethel if you go to Philadelphia. You're going to stay if you go to Massachusetts. Okay. And then I said, God. College of Chemistry. And so there were two colleges of chemistry then. Uh, one was in um, Michigan and the other one was in California. Well, I had not been to either. Michigan told me, cold, California, warm. <laughs> warm- <laughs> that was that was how the decision was
0: made. <laughs> Fantastic. I
1: mean, what, it's the truth. What can I say?
0: <laughs> what, what's so interesting is our similar background in that... Uh, but I grew up in Bluefield, West Virginia, but my grandmother taught me how to cook. So I was cooking oh. for the family at thirteen. Wow. So and I double majored in math and chemistry. And the reason I love chemistry it was like cooking in the lab. And I I worked my way through college by working in the chemistry lab. And I loved the I love, love, love chemistry. But I've never used it afterwards. Do you use it at all on the council? (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Of course
1: not. Except in, you know, human relations. I um, uh, have an appreciation for seeing uh, um, the mixes of ideas, because, you know, that's again, that's again chemistry,
0: you know, the mixing
1: of, you know, and, and to see what kind of product we
0: get. Fantastic. Okay, so you're still experimenting. Yes, the experiment
1: experiment goes forward.
0: (laughs) Putting these different molecules together and see what happens. Yes, of course. In the chemistry lab. (laughs) Of course. Okay, the city council. I love it. So let's talk about the task force and the chemistry that was working there and some of the recommendations.
1: Well, the task force, as you know, you were one of the members, and we're so very thankful for your service for that. It also included others that have a a history or political involvement through their co-op or those who were In the professional arena, you know, look at co-ops as as a business, and so I thought having a combination of types on the committee would make a a big difference. You know, one of the things I try real hard to do is to look at issues holistically, um, so that we hear from a a breadth of 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 so-called experts and uh, practitioners, so we'll we really we really get a feel for what the community is saying as opposed to in one vein or the other. And so the task force came up with about five major preliminary recommendations. Uh, as I was mentioning earlier, and they want a minimum funding amount um, that is, is set aside. Um, and with that, they hope they can increase the number of uh, limited equity co-op units by 40% by 2025 now we are in 2020 on um, you know and we're about to go into 2021 that's a tall task uh, because we already have 4,400 co-op units in 99 buildings so we're talking about at least you know Thirty or forty additional buildings is what we estimate that will become cooperatives and the limited equity type. Also another proposal. You
0: move on, mm-hmm. Being on this committee, first it was an excellent committee. There was debate, it was lobby discussions and everybody wanted to have very successful co ops that are existing and also to create more. Yes. But somebody like me I wanted to double the number, okay? And so if 4,400, I wanted another 4,400 in five years. So some people had to talk and talk about what's the likelihood that that would happen and da-da-da-da-da. So we went down to maybe 1,700 additional units. And I like that you put this group together such that, you have a group of different people, different molecules, if you will. <laughs> and then we were able to agitate each other and then come up with a product. And it excellent. Was just wonderful.
1: Excellent. That's the way the universe really is, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> okay. I love it. Also, we talked about developing new sources of funding, and that I'm very, very interested in how we might do it. I hope that the final report will give us more more detail. Then, of course, the necessity for training and management governance and maintenance of of the uh, cooperative process and and units and then improve or increase the acquisition of finance tools and improve the timing of those units that need rehabilitation so those are all very important I mean now we use the TOPA tenant opportunity to purchase Act. in order to acquire the tenants can use it to acquire their building and turn it into a co-op and I hope more will do that
0: so I got I'm going to go all the way back to this training because one of the reasons I first love co-ops and I'm the property manager representative on this committee so I've been managing co-ops for now 25 years and that's how I learned about them in all of my formal education, I did not understand and know anything about co-ops. But the fifth principle, there are seven principles of co-ops and the values of co-ops. The values of co-ops that I like are the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for one another. Okay, that, those values, are they hit me, they touch me. But the fifth principle of training information So it's that the cooperative is constantly learning how to be trained so they can do the governance and what the responsibility of co-op members are. So in this committee, we wanted to have money for continued training for the cooperators and we wanted to make it a a requirement. If you manage a co-op, then you have to have good training and their ongoing training of management. So that's Critical to co-ops, and then this modern co-op started in 1844 in England with these seven with these seven principles, and I may talk about more about them as we go. But I taught for 12 years in my career, so and my mother was a teacher, so this training piece is extremely important. I know what it can happen with people, so I've seen I have a 16-unit senior co-op at Ninth and Peace Street Northwest. Okay, and they've, ha- they've owned this for 20 years. So it's right in Shaw, right above the uh, convention center. And when they started this 20 years ago, you could get a unit in that neighborhood for five or $600. Now they're up to this $7,200 you were talking <laughs> about. Okay, so there's pressure in the gentrification for people always trying to buy it or get it or whatever. But these seniors, they make the... They pay them in time, and they hold each other accountable. And that's what I, the second reason I like co-ops.
1: That is a perfect example. I'd love to meet them. So let me know one day when they might want to have a visit to all.
0: All right. So we're going to take our second break. back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. Uh, I would like to just let you know that the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program. They've been sponsoring it now for six years. We've been on the air for six years. And NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. So, Council Member Bonds, National Cooperative Bank is a different kind of bank, in that they were created in the uh, 80s for co-ops and to work with low-income communities. And they've done an excellent job in doing that over the years. And what I also like about them is the president there, Chuck Snyder, and the members, the people that work there, they're always looking for solutions to how to solve community-type problems. And they have, between Capital Impact Partners, which is a CDFI, which sprung out of ncb and ncb they've also made the district of columbia their focus area for this year and limited equity co-ops is right in what they were wanting to do i love it <laughs> chuck Snyder, i sent a copy the the recognition that we just had yes that record uh, resolution yes i f- i sent a copy to him and his response back was this is great this is fantastic this fits his goals of creating more limited equity co-ops. So, Fantastic. so we, we've got a partner there.
1: Oh, I'm looking forward to not just this partner, but any other partners that want to help us make ownership a reality in the District of Columbia, and particularly for persons who have been here, as I mentioned, usually long term, but they really don't have the economic income that modern jobs afford them because many of them have, you know, the District of Columbia is sort of like its uh, economic base sort of shot up in the last, you know, five, seven, eight years, and that has created extreme pressure on the living environment. Uh, we have uh, approximately eighty thousand rent control units in buildings that were in existence prior to the nineteen seventy-seven, uh, and those are we were able to help and keep the rent low. Uh, somewhat low in those buildings um, because the amount of rent increase is restricted right. uh, but then you have uh, those buildings after the built after 1976 that and then and then up until well that really but certainly those I would say, from 1977 probably to 1997 which would be uh, buildings that may need some repair they're older stock um, and the rents have been sort of what we call naturally affordable not at seventy two hundred dollars a month okay Okay. but more in the range of you know anywhere from eight hundred to maybe eighteen hundred a month and so we want to find a way to keep those units affordable so that's a piece of what i'm working on and it just seems to to me, using TOPA, we might be able to encourage the tenants associations to become an ownership and engagement coupled with the training that you're speaking of, which would certainly be necessary because people do need um, that training as to how they're going to manage and govern this Absolutely. and how would you, how do you, what are the maintenance requirements? In most instances, you're going to have an old boiler system. Yep. You've got to take care of that. Um, and uh, all of the HVAC probably needs to be replaced Placed. um,
0: If they have HVAC.
1: Yes, exactly. If they have air conditioning, conditioning, correct. So those are the considerations that we're looking at. And I'm also asking now what is the government's responsibility? It is our people, you know, the people of the District of Columbia, but how do we use all of our? Tax dollars to assist those that are most in need, and what is the what is the opinion? Uh, does everyone uh, deserve a right to live here? We have to ask those questions and and get feedback from the public because it's public dollars that we would be um, spending. Um, so. Those are very um, touchy subjects when we try to go further with ownership and particular ownership and affordability housing in the district.
0: You know, I really like the district's TOPA laws, uh, Tenant Occupancy Purchasing Act, such that when somebody decides they want to sell their property, then the tenants have the right to form a tenant association. They have the right to buy it. And people like Mikasa and Mana and other organizations, and Mikasa had a representative on a task force yes uh, who's very, very knowledgeable about all of this, so with Mikasa when they they go out and they help people form and then help them figure out what they need, and then also help them figure out how they can get the funding so that this whole process needs the recommendations that were there when we talk about minimum funding, yes, just to help that TOpa process alone.
1: Yes, I know that the task force, you know, will sunset and that's in accordance with the law. I am considering expanding the task force to have a few financial types on added to the mix mm-hmm. and asking the task force to look at what can be some uh, funding ideas and structures that we can put in place because it's an issue we've got to it's a problem we've got to solve if we're really going to go forth and so I haven't talked with the task force chair but you're the vice chair so.
0: Okay, Uh, Paul Hazen uh, who is the chair has been an excellent, excellent uh, leader uh he's really, really been good. Particularly when we had these uh contentious kind of dis- disagreements and directions that we want to go. He's been really, really good at that. And he's also told us that you have wanted us to continue and most people had said yes to that. We're gonna our next, next meeting one. we're gonna take that up in a formal kind of way to see uh if every, who wants to stay in and so forth and how and we move forward. It. Yeah.
1: Well, that's good news because I think only when we get some new ideas and possibilities and likelihoods of funding will we be able to continue these models in the city. So, and we it's so needed.
0: So, when you have uh, Louise Howe from the district uh, from UDC, Amanda Hiron from UDC, and Louise Howe is an attorney that was on, and she's been working with co and we talked about Ellen Zurbik from Mikasa, the Housing Counseling Services, lady, a young lady there, um, Jade Hall, and then the government representative for the Department of Housing and Community Development, yeah. Anna Van Balen. You know, we had a couple representatives, the people that lived in limited equity. Correct.
1: Those are what I call our political people because they're concerned with what's going to happen because it affects them directly.
0: Yes. Well, Lolita uh, just really, really was into the conversations and very, very active. And the co-op members, if they're very active, they become social and political within the group because it's a democratic – co-ops are democratically controlled entities. So there's one member, one vote. And it's not based on how many shares you have or how much money you have and how much power. If you're one member, it's one vote, which is the other thing I like about
1: yeah, that and that's a very beautiful model for those of us who try to practice democracy in this <laughs> republic of the United States.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So some people have said that the, the big D is the uh, U.S. Uh, democracy and the small d is a cooperative democracy. But I think it's turned around. The reason is in co-ops, you may have, when there's an election, 70, 80 percent of the people out to vote in a co-op. We're in the regular elections you get yes. 42% vote. Yes, that's true. That's yeah. true. So also we find that people that's in a co-op, housing co-op or food co-op, they end up be- get taken on political positions because they understand the value of co-ops. So and
1: working together. Yes. yes. Yes.
0: And how to solve problems when there's conflict. And what I know and you may have learned this too. We got two or more together. The Bible says God is there. But I think we need them because there's gonna be, <laughs> okay. be conflict. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. Right. So task force is one of the things that you've done. What else are you doing to increase this number of housing for this economic group, this below fifty percent and sometimes below eighty percent of the median family income? What are some of the other kinds of things you're doing?
1: Well, we paid a lot of attention, uh, particularly of late, to our public housing stock, as you well know. Mm -hmm. And that's 8,300 units on, I think, 53 properties across the city. It also is the largest gathering, I'll say, of public land in, in the city. Uh, which makes it um, uh, enticing to the development world because they know that you know the properties are old and we need to make repairs. And so how we make those repairs and how we take care of the approximately 18,000 district residents that live on those properties today is very important. And there are a number of strategies in place, but there are a couple of uh, principles that we, dis- we subscribe to. One is that we'll have a one-for-one replacement. In other words, if a property has 100 units, We plan on having 100-plus units that will come back on the property if it has to be a total rehab. We also are hoping that the square footage for the property will be enough that we can add uh, maybe even a few market rate units and some moderate income units. The idea is to figure out how we, the community, Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, can begin to hold on to our affordable units at the lowest price point, and at the same time, we want to be able to help pay for it. The federal government is getting out of the business of public housing, and that means no dollars coming into the jurisdiction. So local communities have to figure out how to do it themselves.
0: That is that is wonderful. I don't know if you know this, but 25 years ago, Capital View, I think that was the name of it. Yes, uh, that's correct. Was turned from a public housing into a cooperative, like 12th and S Street, something. I don't re- quite remember, but I I happened to run into Larry Dwyer, who used to work for DC Housing Authority. I was in a group of called, something called a Scatter Sites. We took 78 yes, units, yes. mm-hmm. made it into 100 units, 78 properties, made about seven different uh, non-profits. Mm-hmm. So I was in charge of one of those non-profits. But he was telling me that Capital View turned out to be extremely well. It's doing well. People own it, and they're t- really taking care of their And
1: properties. it's 12th and...
0: I think it's twelfth and S. I'll find out. I'll get those, get that information because I've been wanting to know. And that's why I just happened to run into him mm-hmm. at lunch. He's he's moved to Boston, but he was very much involved in both the scatter site and in that process. We're going to take our break here, and then I want to come back and see what other kinds of things you're doing. We'll be right back. All right. Information is power, and this is the reason the WOL is a great, great partner for this program. We're giving you information about cooperatives. Uh, Either you can go out and start your co-op if there's a community problem that you want to help resolve, or you can go uh, look for a co-op, either housing co-op or credit union or any particular kind of co-op in your neighborhood, a food co-op. So you can look for a co-op and then become a member and have a say in how that co-op runs and maybe even run for the board uh, so that's what the kinds of things you can do with a co-op but we're here now with council member Anita Bonds and I just want to quickly council member Bonds talk about the principles so I talked about seven principles the first one is volunteer and open membership so it's open to anybody regardless of gender or race or political or religious you don't discriminate uh, the second one is Democratic member control. We've already talked about that one, one member, one vote. The third one is member economic participation. So there's a buy-in. Then for housing, it's normally called a membership fee. It could be the same thing as a one-month security deposit. For a larger co-op, it could be $20,000, 100000 but some buy-in. And then the second part of that member economic participation is if there is a profit or surplus, then that gets to be shared by the members if the members decide that. They could decide to keep that money into the business for growth. They could decide to spend some of that money to help solve other community problems, to donate some of that money, and they could uh, give dividends to the members. That's the third principle. The fourth one is autonomy and independence, and this is where government has to be really concerned and not want to try to get in and tell the co-op what to do. In some of the loan docs, they do say things like uh, you can only rent to people that are, or sell to people that are 50% or lower of the median family income. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about autonomy, is that they can get the chance to put their policies and procedures in place, and that's the fourth principle. The fifth one we've already talked about education, training, and information. And then the sixth one is really nice, and that's called cooperation among cooperatives. So that we want the food co to working with the housing co-ops to works with the credit unions to build a bigger uh, group of uh, an economy, economic. And then the seventh principle is concern for community. And that's, so that's sort of built in the DNA that we really look for ways of working with communities in different uh, kinds of ways to solve particular problems. So with that, I'd love co-ops. I just wanted to tell you these seven principles. I
1: I love it, and I'm so happy you shared with me the seven uh, principles because when you spoke of them earlier, I was trying to write them down rather quickly, so... Thank you. I guess I come at this a, a little differently. Uh, I'm trying to uh, help solve the uh, housing affordability issue that we're faced with, and so have been focused almost exclusively on what can we do and what can government do. And I. I think in the training arena, we can put in place some regulations that stipulate that training is necessary. And that may be touching a little bit on this independence, your fourth principle, but I think it's necessary because ultimately... Uh, the city is responsible for all of its residents, not a few, but all of its residents. Right. And so we want to make sure that uh, the properties are safe, sanitary, you know, Absolutely. that they have the, them provide the services that are needed. I ran into a situation the other day where uh, seniors in the building where they live are now restricted from paying their rent at the front desk. Don't ask me why they were paying it at the front desk, but that was there. Okay, they were yeah. paying it there. Yeah. So now they have to mail it in. And if it's late, they get a late fee. Of course, you know, I'm the author of the uh, late fee law that um, makes sure it's fi- only 5% of the actual amount that's due as opposed to the total amount of the rent. So I'm, I'm very, and that's very helpful to many across the city. But one of the things that we really want to do when we think about how do we make the city affordable is we want to really zero in on how we are able to assist as government in helping. So as I mentioned earlier, training is a big part of it, but also utilizing the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act is, I think, our biggest piece now. And then at some point very soon, I hope we'll will have some new financial you know, opportunities because, for instance, the district government's uh, pension fund is fully funded. Uh, the fund that our emergency respondents use and teachers, so that's police, fire and teachers, is funded even greater. Oh boy. Okay. It just seems to me since labor across the country has become the owner of some buildings, some commercial establishments, isn't it time that you put your money where your mouth is? And that is for the workers and the people that need it. So I'm I'm hoping that we can encourage that kind of investment.
0: Also, well, just, we have. I, I just want to mm-hmm. add something here, real quickly. Is in New York, several of the co ops in the 50s and 60s, the even larger ones, they were funded by pension money. Yes. Union pension money yes. was how, what funded a lot of these co ops. Yeah. So the unions really get the, the value of co ops when people have a say in how they operate and, and create their policies and create their communities, make it very vital.
1: They certainly do, and I, th- I would like for them to look at being the backdrop for the investments in some of these potentially new cooperatives that we can develop.
0: Right on. I know. I think so, that would be great, and that's what this task force could be looking at are different ways. You yes. said you want to look at different ways of funding and financing both new co-ops and how do you renovate the existing one huh?
1: also we have uh, the light process and you have the opportunity zones and both give a benefit to the investor and maybe they need to look at how they can invest in a co op. Maybe a co op is one where you have a hundred units, a hundred families um, have their share, but maybe the share is uh, priced at 25000 or something like that and maybe they provide 15000 and 10000 is provided by an outside source. So the outside source gets to show the depreciation, well really gets to show that they have this investment and therefore they get to take the tax deductions, their personal tax deductions. And so they benefit, but meanwhile those who are in those units also benefit because they will have a, a stable place to live a decent place to live so i just think we can come together more as a community and solve some of these
0: issues well when you started talking about this (coughs) stable place to stay i heard congressman ellis say that a house to a family is like a bowl to baking a cake so when we started talking about yes. making cookies earlier, <laughs> and my grandmother taught me how to bake cakes early on, and rolls and biscuits and all of that, I got it. It said, "Have you ever thought about baking a cake without a bowl?" He said, "When you crack the eggs, they just fall all over the place. Then you add the sugar or the flour, and you've got a mess." Yeah. Okay, without a bowl, yeah. he said, "That's the same way with a house for a family." Yes. I mean, where do yes. they come together and feel safe at night? Where do they do study? Where do they eat together? where they pray to go. i mean without a house the fundamental yeah. of not a house it just it does it's so much needed it's it, like it basic is. need
1: it is it is and you know there's a a movement now that's saying well you know housing is it's tantamount to the existence of of community it's a right and i i agree i, agree. Yeah, I, I agree. like that yes. i like that
0: i like that a lot so you're in charge of housing for the district so you <laughs> get that's a heavy load Well,
1: it's affordable housing. The market rate housing, it pretty much does what it can. And we're trying to impact that so that all developments understand they have to have a portion of affordable um, units. And so that's where we want to go. And it's got to be close to 20, 25 percent, maybe 30 percent. I know I'm advocating big and bold here, but you're giving me that license for this (laughs) morning. But I appreciate it.
0: What do you like what you do? Do you like your
1: job? I do like it very very much and my background is uh more service oriented than anything else. And so um, I feel like as long as I can be of service to my community, I am very happy.
0: I get it, man. I'm, I'm, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I, I'm grateful for it. What would you like to leave people with?
1: Well, we have uh, two things that are going on now. We have the the Nationals baseball team. They're ready for the pennant. We just got to keep pushing, pushing, <laughs> pushing. We also have the Mystics tonight that will become world champion again push for them push (laughs) for them and at some point we'll we'll wish the wizards to to have a good season our soccer team did pretty well and now we got the caps maybe they'll do a good good job we hope so We are Sports Pride City, Washington, D.C., and we love our residents immensely.
0: Thank you so very much for taking out the time today to, to be with us. We really appreciate what you're doing. We thank you for it. And for everybody out there, please have a great week and live cooperatively.